Grace and peace are yours from him who is and who was and who is to come, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1789, Thomas Jefferson purchased a painting by the French painter named Jan Gossart. I also went by the name Malbodius. The painting is called Jesus in the Praetorium. It depicts what Jesus, or what Gossart envisioned Jesus looking like in the events of our gospel lesson today. The image is dominated by the figure of Jesus sitting there, pale, wearing nothing but a strip of cloth and a crown of thorns. Gossard did not depict the, the sickening wounds that Jesus' body would have had at this point. He's already been tried, he's already been sentenced, and he's been whipped quite a bit. So in the painting, he doesn't have those wounds, but one thing Gossard really nails. That's the, the expression on Jesus' face. He looks up, but his face is void, is empty, sad, defeated. Jesus' pale face as he sits there in the, in the governor's courtyard looks up to heaven as if to say, what now? How can this get any worse? It's a little bit different than the images that you and I might be accustomed to of Jesus. We're used to seeing pictures of Jesus walking along a path, taking care of sheep, talking to children. We've seen paintings and pictures and sculptures of Jesus on the cross, and some are more gruesome than others. But Gassart depicts Jesus not yet at the cross, but already defeated. Hear again the words of our gospel lesson for today and see if you can't understand what Gassart was getting at in his depiction of Christ in the Praetorium. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the Praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. Maybe not an image of Jesus that we're used to thinking about. Probably isn't the first portrait of Christ that comes to your mind in your life if you were if you were asked to think of a picture of Jesus. Or is it? I know you watching at home or wherever you are or listening, you have things that weigh heavily on your heart. You are going through something. You are watching what's happening in our nation across the globe. You are watching what's happening in your community. You are watching what's happening in your own heart. 
and I know that you're troubled because I'm in the same boat. What image of Christ comes to our mind most easily in the depths of our despair, in our woe, in, in all the trials that we're going through? Is it a picture of Jesus walking some unknown path, tending some sheep while he has not a care about what's going on in our lives? Jesus talking to some children when we wish that he would be talking to us? Or are we more likely to think about Gossard's Jesus in the Praetorium, a picture of a man sitting there, weak, just as weak as we would be in the same situation? Is that the picture of Jesus that comes to mind? Because that certainly seems accurate, right? We feel like we might be the... If, if we take a look at this situation at the two groups that are present, there's Jesus, there's the Roman soldiers, which, with, with which group do you identify most? Maybe we mostly identified with Jesus. Being mocked, being pummeled, being beaten down, spat on, treated abusively by the world, by circumstance, by our stress, even by ourselves. We feel like we're in the praetorium, looking up to heaven with an empty look on our face, feeling utterly defeated, as if there's nothing we can do. That's certainly how Jesus looked to those Roman soldiers, right? He was already sentenced to death. He was already punished for, he was already whipped, already abused physically. Here, these brutes, this group of toxically masculine individuals are pushing Jesus around. They're punching him. They're insulting him. They vaguely know, at least about his condemnation, about his sentence, that he had something about being the king of the Jews or something. So they take a mantle off one of the soldiers and they drape him in it like a king's robe. They twist together a crown of thorns and shove it on his head because thorns were probably the first thing that they could grab for the most available thing. They shove a scepter or a makeshift scepter into his right hand and they put on this little plate. They bow their knees and they sarcastically say, Hail, King of the Jews. You can hear the sickening laughter as they crack their little jokes and continue on with their violence and cruel torture of Jesus. And how can he respond? He's stripped practically naked, and these men are armed to the teeth. They're well-worn, battle-worn individuals who know how to fight. How could Jesus have stood up to them? If you and I were in the praetorium there, hiding behind a, a corner or something, watching this all take place, would we dare whisper to ourselves, come on, Jesus, let him have it. Show him who's boss. With everything going on, with everything that makes you anxious and hurt and stressed, do you dare whisper to yourself, come on, Jesus, show everyone who's boss. Do something about this. Retaliate. 
When you are face to face with human cruelty, with human abuse, do you wish that Jesus would do something? And then when he doesn't do what you wish him to do, are you tempted to conclude that he can't? That he would if he could, but he's unable to help you. Or are you even tempted to go so far as to conclude, as so many people have, that if Jesus isn't doing anything about all this, about all this evil, then he must not exist. Is Jesus already defeated in our hearts? How does Jesus do when face to face with human cruelty, with human wickedness? It does not seem that he is doing so well as he endures the abuse of these Roman soldiers, the worst of the worst of the sin of humankind. And yes, we can say humankind. It's not like these Roman soldiers were a special breed were somehow more sinful than any any of the rest of us. The scariest part of this scenario is that the sin that is showing itself so clearly in the way that these Roman soldiers beat up and abuse an innocent person is the same sin that has been alive and well in my nature since birth and even before. Sure, maybe uh, societal pressures and our own consciences keep us from doing the exact same things as these Roman soldiers, but who of us doesn't know what it is to go too far and sin for the sake of a laugh? Who of us doesn't know what it means to use our position of superiority or authority to abuse somebody who's in a weaker position than us? Who of us doesn't know what it is to abuse someone in thought, in word, in deed? That's all of us. Who should we identify with in this scenario? Is it Jesus? Certainly not. We are more like those Roman soldiers. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is God. He is Perfect. We are so far from perfect. Jesus is God. Earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapters 17 and 20, Jesus has already indicated to his disciples that this was going to happen. This moment in the Praetorium. Jesus already knew about the fists that would strike his face, about the whip that would strike his back, about the insults, the stupid jokes that the, that the Roman soldiers would laugh about, and the punchline that would be himself. He knew about the crown of thorns. He knew about the cross. He knew about all of this because he planned it. He was going to his own suffering willingly, on purpose, for a purpose. 
my dear brother, my dear sister, let's not make the mistake of looking at just a first glance at this scenario and concluding that Jesus is weak and defeated. No, far from it. Our eyes deceive us. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He did not stop being Jesus when he was abused by those Roman soldiers. Because one day, Jesus is going to come back, and those knees that bowed in sarcastic irony to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, they will bow again when he comes to judge the living and the dead, when every soul has to account for what they have done. And there won't be any sarcasm or irony in that moment. And that's the same Jesus. The same Jesus who was present at creation. The same Jesus who left his throne in heaven to be born a human baby, to live among us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, to be our shepherd king. Here he is, enduring abuse like you and I will never know because he suffered it for us. Same Jesus all according to plan. This is your king. Hail to the king. Regular kings, human kings, what do they do? They fight battles. They wage war. They conquer. They rule. They reign. They have subjects. Jesus is a king just like all that. But the war that he waged was different than any other. The weapons he used was different than any king has. And the victory that he won is different than any other kind of victory. The war that Jesus waged was a war against our enemies. Not the Roman soldiers themselves, Not the wicked people themselves, but the wickedness that so infected them. The disease of sin that infects you and me. That was the enemy Jesus came to defeat. And he came to defeat that death that our sin has earned for us. He came to defeat the work of the devil, which works so hard to drag us to hell. That was the enemy Jesus came to conquer. And his victory was never in doubt. The weapons he used, the way that he fought that war, when we read Matthew chapter 27, our our text for today, we are watching him fight our battle, watching him defeat sin. Make no mistake, this is not your weak Jesus on the verge of defeat, getting beaten up by Roman soldiers against his will. This is Jesus with every blow, with every spittle, with every insult, all the way up to the cross and through and down into the grave, winning, winning your forgiveness, winning your soul, conquering. You, by conquering sin and death, laying his battle standard in the territory of your own heart by forgiving your sin, washing you clean, and making you his own, we are his subjects. Our king has fought our battles for us. 
our King, our Savior, Jesus. Hail to the King. Before I mentioned Thomas Jefferson, he was the one that purchased the painting, Jesus in the Praetorium, from Malbodius, from Jan Gossart. As you know, Thomas Jefferson was one of the founding fathers of the United States of America, a country, as we're standing here, that was formed after a revolutionary war, right? Against the British monarchy. We did not enjoy having a monarch, having a king or queen rule over us, so we rebelled. And now, after the Constitution has been written, after, after all this history, it seems that it's in our DNA as a country to not be too keen on the idea of one person having all the power. That's why we came up with that idea of checks and balances and everything. We're not too keen on one individual holding all the cards. We wanted to get away from the monarchy and try to practice our own individual political freedoms. But a spiritual monarchy is not so bad. Jesus is our king. He does hold all the cards. He rules, he reigns, we are his subjects. And that's not a bad deal when your king is Jesus, who is perfect, perfect in power, perfect in love, perfect in wisdom, in authority, in rule. That's your king, Jesus. There is nothing that is outside of his control. There is nothing that will separate you from his love. There is nothing that can stop his almighty power. So if things are happening that I wish Jesus would do something about, and he doesn't seem to be taking my advice or my orders, you know what? That's okay. Because Jesus is king, and I'm not. And Jesus has promised that because of his power, because of his wisdom, his love and authority, he can work out all things for your and my eternal good. If that doesn't make sense to us in the moment, Jesus says, that's okay. Just remember, I'm king. Remember that in a moment such as our lesson for today, when it looked like Jesus was most defeated, he was winning the victory for us, winning your salvation, winning heaven for you. If he can do that there, what can't he do? We trust our king. We're his subjects, his happy subjects, his loyal subjects. We submit to his rule because he knows what he's doing. Sure, there will be moments in life that trouble us, sources of stress, sources of anxiety, times that, that bring us to our knees and, and rightly say, God, King, Savior, Jesus, I don't know what's going on. But let's try this. The next time you are brought to your knees in prayer to your Savior, Jesus, simply say, Jesus, you're king. I'm not. 
I don't understand how this might play out for my good. But I know you promise that it will. I know that it, even if it looks like you are not in control of this situation, you are, Lord. I know that even though it might feel like you've taken a step back from my life and you're no longer paying attention to me, God, I know that you are. I know that you're with me. Help me trust in you. Let's pray that prayer, dear Christian, to our Savior King Jesus. If you ever get a chance to look at Jan Gossart's Jesus in the Praetorium, I hope you take a good look. That you look at this figure of Jesus pale and vapid, seeming defeated, but I hope you keep looking and see not just a man who's embarrassed and defeated, but that you see what Jesus went through for you. I hope you see your king looking up to heaven as he suffered, but in his suffering was winning you the victory. With Jesus, you are victorious. You are safe and secure with your king. Hail to the king. Amen.